The Big Bets on Campus podcast is presented by WinBet Sportsbook, and they've got a great sign-up offer for our listeners. New WinBet patrons who open an account and deposit $20 or more can make their first bet risk-free up to $1,000. That's right. If you open a new WinBet account, make a qualifying deposit, and place your first bet within 10 days, that bet is risk-free up to $1,000 in eligible states. To get started, all you have to do is click on the Action Network link in this episode description. Okay, let's get things started. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by WinBet Sportsbook. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. We got a loaded slate. We got college football on tonight, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. We're going to get to it all. I'm excited. Colin's excited. We'll talk some hogs, some FCS, some... Look, I know last, last week was kind of cool, but this is the real start of college football. You ready to roll? This is the real slate because, I mean, we have so many games on the board with the Fordham Rams going up against Nebraska. We have uh, North Dakota taking on Idaho State. We have so much to talk about. There's just no time to really kind of play around here or celebrate the fact that you and I had a really productive week zero. We'll talk briefly about week zero in a second, but just keep in mind just a a few housekeeping notes here. We're going to release our first college football recap and voicemail episode, which will normally be on Mondays. But there, we have Labor Day this Monday, so it'll be released on Tuesday next week. So we'll recap. We'll talk about any weekday games. We'll listen to your voicemails. By the way, great news. We have a new voicemail. If you're a first-time listener, we people call all weekend, and we cut the best voicemails. So if you're, if you're mad about something, if we led you astray or you want to give us credit, uh, feel free to give us a call at any time and just ramble away, scream, cry. We've heard it all. We had someone we had a, someone at a play at our thespian uh, population called in and was happy with the, the Nebraska under 52 and a half. They got in late and they hit because of the missed extra point. But the new number is 959 bad beat. It's easy to remember. 959 bad beat. So just make sure you put put that in your phone. Uh you can I'll always tweet it out on the weekends too. But just save in your phone. So whenever you feel the urge, you can call and we'll do some giveaways to make sure that you subscribe, review Big Bets on Campus, wherever you listen to podcasts. We have our own exclusive channel now. Happy that you're here. Happy that the season is officially in gear. This college football season. So let's let's get right into it. I guess first question, anything of note or one key takeaway that you just, it could be a rant, could be anything you want of after week zero. Well, I mean, you talked me off the ledge from UCLA winning the national championship. So I guess I got to give you shit about that. Cause let's just crown them right now. Right. It does worry me a little bit that everybody's now on the UCLA bandwagon, obviously in the market with the number moving, you couldn't have looked as more fantastic as what they did against Hawaii team that you and I said, Bo Graham is calling the plays for, you know, for, for Todd Graham uh, made Siobhan, Siobhan Cordero uh, look less efficient. 
Uh, and now we've got a team in LSU that's been displaced three days of practice in Houston coming in town. So, you know, there's a, that's a, such a huge game here and we'll see if coach O can keep all of the emotions and the focus on the game. But as far as week zero goes, UTEP was explosive. I think that's something that you and I need to continue to look for. Now we get an, we get a week off from, uh, you know, betting on UTEP as far as, you know, FBS play goes, but uh, UTEP having an explosive game and especially in the first half was something that didn't surprise me whatsoever. Illinois already having an identity didn't surprise me whatsoever because that's what Brett Bielema does. He has a ceiling. It's just he is very good at creating uh, an identity and getting the team to buy into that. So I think it's good that a lot of the things that you and I were so successful with 2014 through 2019, some of the things that you and I relied on from a handicapping standpoint to give us indicators on what to bet, it feels like those have returned. The, the, the clownness and the craziness of the COVID-19 2020 college football era seems to be over with and you can rely back on old uh, things that got you to cash tickets at the window. Uh, like you can start leaning on some of those things again, actual data and statistics and and paying attention to what's in the news releases and, instead of hiding injuries and all that. So I think my big takeaway from week zero is we're back in the saddle when it comes to the way that you and I have handicapped for decades and as far as it leading us to winners. Look, we're still going to be gathering data and adjusting for priors. It's only, you know, it's only a couple games. I wish I wasn't as hesitant as I was. You know, I played that under. I loved UTEP. I didn't end up betting them. I should have. A couple second half spots. I have a, a piece on actionnetwork.com and the Action Network app about some look ahead spots, mainly for, for second half plays. So it was suggesting like Hawaii second half, Southern Utah second half, thinking that San Jose State. Um, and UCLA with big games on deck would kind of just go ultra conservative. But I was mainly mad I didn't. And we I, look, I, I'll push back on you. We don't know if UTEP is explosive yet. We just know New Mexico <laughs> State stinks. The New Mexico State Aggies, the worst team in college football. They, I mean, we, so we don't know. They did show promise, but they, that could just be that New Mexico State is that bad. But and New and Nebraska, yikes! I mean, talk about a a, a sour start to the season. Well, I, you know, I, Scott Frost is obviously still going to be the coach. And I, I pressed Brett on our new uh, sources podcast just the other day. Will he be the coach through the OU game? His answer was definitively yes. Will he be the coach at the end of the year? His answer was definitively no, he won't be. And so what is this, a lost season? Are we going to accept a bowl invite? If, if it, you know, we take a, what, what are we going to be against Fordham here this weekend? I mean, the, you have to have a response. So we'll see if Adrian Martinez can pull off a clean box score against Fordham in a spot where, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen in Lincoln if they don't cover whatever projected spread this is going to be and they don't do something for the fan base there. Good point. All right, let's move on to some actual games. Let's start with uh, an old an old but classic segment. Look ahead or look away. Hangovers, sleepers, and the dreaded sandwich spot. Is it time to look ahead or look away? All right, so this segment, we just look at a couple of games each week and decide, you know, basically it comes down to our number. You can find all of our projected spreads on the Action Network app. But we look, you know, like I just mentioned with UCLA, with San Jose State. They had big games on deck. They don't want to show too much in the second half. You kind of take your foot off the gas. So we really look at the at the week after. And, you know, sometimes teams, their college kids can get caught looking ahead, lack of focus. Coaches might be preparing a little bit less and looking ahead themselves. So three games kind of stuck out in that sense this week. Yeah, we'll start with two of them. Oregon 
minus 20 and a half against Fresno State at Winbet and BYU up to 12 and a half point favorites at Arizona. Notable here, Oregon plays Ohio State next week. So the thinking, you know, I'm going to be looking at Fresno, competent team. I think maybe a little undervalued in the market. I'm going to be looking at Fresno myself, second half here, thinking, you know, if Oregon builds a comfortable lead by halftime, why should, you know, that they have national title aspirations, right? This is a team that believes they can go in the national title. Well, what do they have to do to do that? They got to beat Ohio State. Right? You got to win at Ohio State next week. And so why show anything if you build and why risk any health if you have a really big, comfortable lead? I think that they're going to go very conservative, get out healthy, get Anthony Brown out of there. So I'll be looking at Fresno's second half. BYU has Utah, the Holy War on deck. They're playing Arizona, an Arizona team with a brand new staff, um, a mess, just an absolute mess of the year <laughs> last year. The one thing that they have, a couple things they have working for them. I mean, Zach Wilson's gone from BYU, which is which is good, uh, record-setting quarterback for that program, who went in the first round of the NFL draft. BYU has Utah on deck, so maybe they're not taking this as serious. And Arizona does have the advantage of the unknown, right? Like, what are we going to see? They, you know, are they going to pull? It's their first game of a new new regime. Are they going to pull out all the stops? Are they, you know, some trick plays? So it's a fresh new start. I'm sure they'll be hyped for it. I just don't know if I trust the roster either. Of, but I can see BYU if they have a huge lead going, mm, shut it down. We have Utah on deck. Let's go very conservative. So depending on how the games go, depending on how both Fresno and Arizona look, and how big the leads or deficits for those teams are. I will at least monitor and look for a second half play for both. Uh, you see anything in either of those two games? Well, definitely something in the Oregon Fresno game. I think this is, uh, you know, I've been chomping at the bit for months to just kind of fade this Oregon team. And this is such a great spot with a look ahead over Ohio state. And if you listen to anybody around Eugene, I, I mean, literally just a week and a half ago, I was in town, drove by and uh, you know, took my wife to the stadium and showed her around and ate there on campus before we went and golfed abandoned dunes. And everybody thinks Oregon can win the national championship. I felt like I was the only person in town that <laughs> didn't believe that they can win a national championship. And I love Fresno state. Now I did not cash the over 62 and a half in the Fresno Yukon, but that was not Fresno state's fault. I mean, did I mention it's hot? It's not just a little bit hot. It is so hot. You guys, Fresno State has a contingency plan in place in case their players' shoes melt on this turf because that's something that they've seen happen before. In fact, they brought extra shoes in every size, and they have them on the sideline there just in case that happens. Uh, cleats were melting. Uh, UConn couldn't get past the 50. Uh, it, it was a really embarrassing show for the Huskies. But Ronnie Rivers and Jake Hayner are a force to be reckoned with. Now, I'm going to say the same thing about Fresno State that I'm going to say about UCLA. I know they basically had a glorified scrimmage, but if I can get Fresno State at 21 and a half, I'd certainly think this is a buy because I project this to be just a little bit over 14. Uh, Oregon terrorizes quarterbacks. Uh, you know, they just have issues with teams that can run the ball. The Ducks finished 91st in defensive rushing success rate last year. And the key name here is Matt Smith. He had 466 snaps at center last year for Fresno, and he took all the first half snaps against UConn. Ronnie Rivers is one of the best dual threat running backs in the nation. He had 16-yard run over the center. He had a 14-yard run against UConn over the, over the left guard in the center. Uh, there were explosive plays that went up the gut. And to me, that is Kalen DeVore tipping his hand a little bit saying, 
we know that Oregon can attack us in passing downs in known passing situations with our edge rushers and Kayvon Thibodeau uh, and get to the quarterback. But with the way they use Ronnie Rivers and Jake Hayner, it looks like, you know, a little zone play, a little dump off, a little shift of the pocket. They're going to attack the middle of this Oregon uh, defense, which is a perfect place to get him because they've never been able to stop the rush. Rivers has already created seven missed tackles on just 14 rushing attempts. He gained 47 yaks on just two catches. I mean, he's the ultimate dual threat that Oregon's going to have to deal with. Now, Tim DeRuiter, there is history here. Tim DeRuiter, former head coach of Fresno State, he was asked in his press conference this week about the defense, about Fresno State, his time there. Uh, and he started off, well, the middle of my defense needs to show up. Darius has a chance to be a good player. Popo has the ability to be a good player, but the middle of our defense is where we need to show up. So Tim DeRuiter is already admitting that he knows that Ronnie Rivers and Jake Hayner are coming straight up the gut. If you look at Hayner, he, he left the, the, the field with 100 degree, you know, 120 degree temps on the field. I think they showed that thermometer every two seconds. Uh, he had three TDs, one big time throw, 331 yards, really some great production, glorified scrimmage against UConn. But it's notable that on 20 of 26 passing, five of the five of those uh, six incompletions were flat out wide receiver drops. So Hayner's accuracy was on point. Now, Hayner didn't play in Austin Stadium while he was at Washington, but wide receiver Ty Jones did in 2018. He hauled in an explosive pass and a touchdown. So at least there's some locker room there for Fresno State with uh, a key player, a key target that has been in that stadium and been the uh, opponent before. And, you know, Fresno's defense was pretty impressive. Again, UConn, glorified scrimmage, 10 tackles for loss uh, for 41 yards, pushed them back. They held UConn to 107 yards, even through garbage second half play, where Fresno essentially punted their points away, stopped one of their cleats to get melted, threw in some walk-ons on defense. They still only allowed 107 yards. So and I know UConn hasn't played since the pandemic, but the Ducks defense will have a little bit of a wrinkle for moving on from Andy Avalos into Tim DeRuiter. And that is that Kayvon Thibodeau is going to be standing up and setting his hand down. We'll see how Thibodeau reacts if he still has the same jump time that he's had before that's really got him projected to go possibly number one in the NFL draft. But I, they asked Tim DeRuiter specifically. I think the point that I wanted to get to is that Tim DeRuiter was the head coach uh, 2012 to 2016. Uh, and even in his time at Cal, he knew Kalen DeBoer. He knows Kalen DeBoer very well. He said he's not shocked at all what's going on at Fresno. He's such a great coach from a personality perspective, from a scheme perspective, does his homework. And DeRuiter said, uh, DeRuiter said on, on his time in Fresno, there are some very close personal feelings. My wife and my family, we had a great time in Fresno. Uh, they were just very fond. So in my opinion, this is not a game they want to run up. We talked about Anthony Brown having a ceiling. This is a look-ahead spot, but Tim DeRuiter doesn't have any harsh feelings where he's, you know, th this is they're they're cramming this week to shut down this Fresno State attack. I guarantee you the whole focus is on Ohio State. And Kalen DeBoer is just sitting back with this dual threat Ronnie Rivers, uh, Jake Hayner combination. And I think they can do a ton of damage here. I don't want to wait for a live play. I'm gonna search for 21 and a half. If I have to settle on 21, I will. Fresno for me is the play. Go Bulldogs. Yeah, it is worth noting. Teams that don't play in week zero have an advantage historically against teams that do. Janet's have 55% against the spread historically. The, the thinking there is that they have a tape advantage, but mm -hmm. it's not like you saw anything that crazy from Fresno against UConn. Also, UConn, that is one data point. It's only one. Right. But it wasn't too promising for teams that didn't play last year. 
what they look like. Uh, well, you have New Mexico State too, but they played in the spring <laughs> at least. But man, did they both look bad. Uh, any interest in in maybe fading Arizona or? Do we think that Arizona played a season last year? Are we are we including them as having actual real game time? That's true. That's so true. I think I think what's interesting with BYU and Arizona is that this exact same play, scenario has played out before. In 2016, Arizona was week one. BYU was minus one and a half on the spread with Utah in the in the next game in the second game. Final score 18 to 16. BYU covered the one and a half. Now, interesting enough, this is the third time these teams have met where. BYU has a new offensive coordinator under the Kalani Sataki era, which is quite interesting. So BYU is again facing Arizona and starting off with a new offensive coordinator for the third time. They've won and covered each time that that's happened. And so you have to wonder like where researching, I don't know how much research you did on Arizona, but trying to get what Jed Fish is going to do on this offense was like pulling teeth. And the offensive coordinator that's never called plays before in his life and Jed Fish and all of his NFL experience, it seems like we're having a, a two-quarterback system. Uh, we've got the transfer coming in, uh, Gunnar Cruz coming in from Washington State. Uh, they're going to run a, a version of the Wildcat. Uh, you know, I, it's really hard to tell from some of these NFL numbers, you know, because Jed Fish was at predominantly New England Patriots heavy rush attack. Uh, before that, his offensive coordinator, Carroll, was at the Seahawks. They were heavy rush three years ago, and now they've really lightened up in the NFL. So we, you know, from what I could get, there's going to be a, a rotation of quarterbacks from Gunnar Cruz and freshman Will Plummer. And Sataki announced Jaron Hall at quarterback, and there really is going to be no scheme change with new offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick. Jeff Grimes out of town, uh, down to Baylor. Uh, you know, Roderick has been on the staff since 2017, but to be more specific about his relationship with Sataki, he was has spent his previous 12 years at Utah alongside Sataki. So there's no offensive change here whatsoever. So what Jaron Hall has done before, it's going to happen again. The first half under for me is the look. Now, I know it's in Elysian Stadium, uh, you know, and the, it's just the Arizona rotation of quarterbacks, uh, the possibility of the Wildcat, not a lot of passing going on. BYU is moving on to Jaron Hall. They probably want to limit some of his risk and exposure and, and build confidence in him. In 2019, he had a couple of head injuries, but he did have three big-time throws and 46 attempts. So the arm is there. The experience is not. There's no side play for me. But this is just – you know, we had a lot of unders last week, Stuck. I felt like every game went under and every first half went under. And I wish this was out in the heat. It's not. But at the same time, I just feel we have an, a very – I'm not sure if Arizona knows what they're doing on offense. And I think they're going to figure it out from series to series. Meanwhile, BYU is going to keep the same scheme, have a new quarterback. So first half under is the lean here. Yeah, I'll be looking. It's hard to know what you're going to get from Arizona. Yeah, I'll be looking for a second half play there. And yeah, I think if you do get three touchdowns, or especially more than three touchdowns with Fresno, that's the look. I'll also be looking for a second half play. The last one we have here is... Guess what we get to do now? Calling on the hogs. Arkansas at Winbet, 19 and a half point favorites over Rice. Over under 49 and a half. Arkansas has a home date with Texas on deck. Are your hogs going to get caught snoozing <laughs> in the sun, the hot Arkansas sun? Or are they going to come out, take care of business, keep the foot on the gas, and blow out? Uh, an improving rice program. Hmm. They might have, I think they're seventh. It depends. They have, I think that rice has dual starters. Listen to the quarterback, either yeah. Wiley green who started in 2019 or Luke McCaffrey 
transferred from Nebraska. If McCaffrey gets a start, it'll be the seventh different starting quarterback to open the season for Rice in the past seven years. I'll let you take this away. Any thoughts on your hogs? Woo, pig suey. Collins talking Razorback football. Yeah, I think Wiley made us some money a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, on your toes, Razorbacks to the finish. Carry on with all your might. Hey, Arkansas. I'll oh, fight, fight, fight. Listen, I'm excited. The season to me is a continuation of last season. Yes, we went three and seven. We had a game stolen from us against Auburn. But in an all SEC season, Bo Nick season in full effect. <laughs> in an all SEC season, Sam Pittman went seven and three against the spread. So odds makers were continually surprised by what Arkansas was doing. And that's really kind of a reflection of how he's coaching this team. Max effort with a lot of statistics outside the top 100. So how does that translate into Rice? Because I have this projected at 18 and I have the total right on the number. So you have to go a little bit farther for this Southwest Conference rivalry. In terms of pace, these two teams couldn't be any different. Uh, Rice finished 124th in seconds per play under the Mike Bloomgren. You know, he's still there. He, he comes from the David Shaw Stanford coaching tree. A lot of fullbacks, a lot of tight ends on the field. And every time I convince myself that I want to take an over in this game, I'm reminded that if Rice can sustain an eight minute drive, that really kind of kills uh, Arkansas's chance of like getting over the total because they might have to do it all by themselves. I'm not sure Rice is going to get in the end zone. Rice was bottom 10 and 20 plus yard plays from scrimmage last year. That's an improvement from 128th and 2019. Rice is the worst at 20 plus yard plays from scrimmage over the last two years. I don't expect that to change. They're tied with Akron uh, as far as like most worst explosive offenses in the nation. The Arkansas defense with Barry Odom, they specialize in giving up a plenty of yards and playing, you know, basically protect for the explosive play. Keep everything in front of you. Uh, Barry Odom's, you know, made a living off of that at Missouri, now at Arkansas. And, you know, everybody's healthy now on the defense from Bumper Pool to Grant Morgan. And there's a lot of exciting names that have either transferred into the program, into the defensive line. There's some freshmen, some highly touted freshmen that we got. And I say highly touted, four stars. That's big for Arkansas. Uh, but, you know, Pittman was really hammering these guys the last 10 days. And he said, listen, reviewing 2020, our first drive stunk. They were terrible. We didn't score any points. We didn't move the ball. We weren't successful. He's had Razorback players out of bed early in the morning and practicing early in the day just because he wants them up, awake, and alert. He wants the first drive to have points. So I take that down as a betting note that if I'm going to bet the hogs, it's probably going to be have to be something early. Now you look a little bit farther underneath the hood with what Kendall Bryles is going to do on offense. Remember, Arkansas was eighth in tempo last year, and that wasn't a mistake. When they lost to Georgia in the opener, right, with Dwan Mathis getting switched out for Stetson Bennett, and Arkansas was losing like five to zero, keeping up with Georgia at some point. They were running tempo like crazy. And after the game, one of the local beat reporters asked Sam Pittman, like, do you think maybe you should slow down the tempo so that the players can get it? And Pittman's response goes, says, no, I think we should execute a lot better. This offense under Kendall Browse is not getting any slower. They're going to continue to execute. And the more these players have experience, the better they're going to be at scoring some points. So we do have KJ Jefferson back at quarterback. He is, but how long is he going to be in this game? He's going to get his, but then there's the injuries to the big skilled players that we need. Uh, Traylon Burks uh, injured out with a foot. Uh, he's on, he's in practice, closed off to the media the last couple of days. Game time decision is what we've heard. I wouldn't be surprised if they hold probably him out and play. say, yeah. yeah, probably doesn't play. They held him out for Texas. My opinion about it is, you know, Rice 
is not going to be able to play any defense and keep up with Arkansas whatsoever. I think we're going to be able to name the score, but there's two things, uh, you know, that kind of bother me. And that is Rice's tempo. They can extend drives. I'm not sure they can score, but they can, they go so slow. They're going to try to play. Rice bully is like ball. an old school team. They use like a fullback, two mm-hmm. tight ends. They run it. They wait, they go super slow. They try to grind the clock. Bloomgren, their head coach, he's a Stanford guy. He comes from the, yeah. the Stanford tree. So they play sort of similarly, but go ahead. But you can't do that with Arkansas because they now have five returning offensive linemen that all weigh through over 310 pounds. I mean, this this isn't Conference USA. So the best bet for me is a first quarter bet on Arkansas at minus six and a half, a first half bet at minus 10. There's just so many new skill positions for Jefferson to work with that it could be a steamroll or it could be, you know, a real challenge with accuracy and timing and some of the other receivers that have come in. Uh, I, I don't expect Rice to contribute anything in the spread, which is why I'm saying off the full game total. I do want to find a way to get some money down on Arkansas. Now, maybe, and listen, we're not going to stop playing just because it's the third quarter or it's the fourth quarter or because it's 89 to 91 degrees and the wind is blowing 10 miles an hour. We're going to pack the place out. And Sam Pittman need, and Kendall Bryles and Barry Odom need film on every single person in the three deep. And the biggest problem with Arkansas last year is we had zero depth. When Grant Morgan gets hurt, Bumper Pool gets hurt, the defense went down the drain. When KJ Jefferson, if KJ Jefferson gets hurt, we're in big trouble. A lot of, not a lot back there at the quarterback position. So Arkansas is not going to let their foot off the gas, no matter what the score is and no matter what the quarter is. So that leads me to think, I want an Arkansas team total. 35 and a half feels steep. If Rice is able to sustain drives, that's where I'm looking at on the radar. There's going to be an Arkansas bet. I just got to figure out what's the best value between first quarter, first half, or team total over. All right, keep your eye out on the Action Network app. Colin sounds like he is drinking the hog aid. We will see if that ever turns to hog wash. Before Sark comes to town. season. Yeah, we got Sark coming in next week, and I'm sure Colin will be fired up for that one. Hopefully, <sighs> Arkansas doesn't lose to Rice, souring that matchup uh, for there, next week. There will be no social media while I'm at the Texas game. Like, the phone will just be off in the back pocket. There will what be was no Arkansas media. favored over San Jose State when they lost at home to San Jose State? 20-point underdog. What? what? Same range. Same yeah, range. 20, 20 and a half. Yeah. Don't, don't, that was write, a Chad don't Morris. write this one in Sharpie yet. That team couldn't tackle. God, that was embarrassing shit. The rice might not be fried just yet. Might have to tune in there. You know I'll be prodding Colin on Twitter if it's tied at the half. So for Colin's sake and for his bet and for all of you who follow him, I hope that I don't have to do that, but I am uh, <laughs> contractually obliged to do so if that's the case. It is a good thing to mention that our Saturday morning college football show will be on the Action Network. It's really important to watch because by then there'll be indication if Traylon Burks is going to play, if Traylon Smith is going to play. So I'd encourage everybody to watch our new Saturday morning show coming this weekend. Yeah, Brett, Steph, myself, and Colin, we're doing that every Saturday morning. It'll be live on Twitter. I think around 10, 1030. Uh, I'll tweet out details on it, but that'll be a lot of fun. All right, so let's move on to the marquee games of the week. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week one. All right, we have five really marquee games this weekend that are setting the stage for the college football season. We're back. Let's Mm -hmm. start at noon, noon Eastern on Fox. I wonder if Gus Johnson's doing this game. 
We have a a night game on Fox. We have LSU UCLA on Fox at night. That sound that seems like it'll be a Gus Johnson. I don't know. I'll have to look. Mitchell insert the college football, the OU Texas call for Stucky here. His favorite call of all time. This is what happens when I uh, prod about that. Bring up that San Jose State upset. All right, Wisconsin-Penn State, noon Eastern on Fox. Wisconsin's a five-and-a-half-point favorite, over-under 50. It's worth noting, Paul Chris, 10-2 and two in bowl games and openers, 8-3-1 against the spread, so they take advantage of their preparation time. Penn State last trip to Camp Randall, 2013. You know what they did? They won as 25-point underdogs. You remember the state of Penn State back then. Bill O'Brien and Christian Hackenberg. Oof. They beat Wisconsin in the, I think it was the season finale. If I'm not mistaken, regular season finale. Uh, that was the last time Penn State visited Wisconsin. Penn State, new offensive coordinator, third one in three years for Sean Clifford, who's QB1 again. There are lots of questions on the defensive front. New defensive ends. They're relying on a lot of youth and, and some transfers that have come in in that front seven. On the other side of the ball, there, are, there were some coaching changes for Wisconsin's position changes. Paul Chris takes over quarterback coach. He's now calling the plays. I think that's going to benefit Graham Mertz, who you would assume is now healthy. He also has healthy receivers, super seniors that are coming back. That'll help. Last year, they were really impacted by COVID and injuries. So it looks like a much healthier Wisconsin team. Might go more running back by committee, which Wisconsin doesn't usually do. You have the Clemson transfers now in the mix. Offensive line, very experienced. And, you know, where I think this comes down to is, and Wisconsin's defense, very experienced. They're, you know, going to play that, you know, 3-4 attacking style for Jim Leonard, who I think is going to be a head coach eventually. But I think that what this comes down to is there are many more questions with this Penn State team than Wisconsin. And what I mean by that is, you know, Penn State, third offensive quarter in three years you know, scheme changes, you know, you have a lot of new pieces in that front seven on, on defense. You lost a couple offensive linemen to the NFL. I know you have a left tackle that's a potential first rounder, but there's some turnover there. You know, I think the difference is going to be that Wisconsin is going to be able to move the ball on the ground against this raw and inexperienced Penn state defensive line. And on the other side of the ball, I just, I still don't trust Sean Clifford. So I, I think Wisconsin gets it done. The problem is I project this spread right around where it is. At WinBet, Wisconsin's sitting as a five-and-a-half-point favorite. There's more questions on Penn State. If you put a gun to my head, I would take Wisconsin here. But I'm assuming that, you know, the problems with Mertz last year were health-related. A big assumption here. And if they are, Wisconsin's going to, I think, win the division easily. So this is most likely a pass for me. I could argue, I could see if you wanted to throw him in a um, round robin as an anchor piece. I, I don't hate that or just a money line parlay. We're going to do our round robin on our show on Saturday morning. But I, I ultimately think that, that all the pieces that Penn State lost in their front seven, that's going to be the difference. Wisconsin will be able to sustain enough drives. Mertz will be better with the pieces around him and that offensive line. And the Wisconsin defense, look, they bring all their linebackers back. Uh, they have experience in the secondary. I think Wisconsin wins this game, but problem is i think the spread is spot on thoughts yeah i thought that's the way that i was going to go when this you know i took the assignment to write this up for the action network and you guys can read a a huge uh write-up that i did on this and 
I was under the assumption that I'd be Badgers all the way going through week one. And then I think some of the things that I was able to dig into kind of changed my mind. And it's funny, I, you know, on a personal note, I'm a Catholic and I feel like this whole Mike Yurisich uh, era starting as offensive coordinator at Penn State, you kind of have to have some belief, right? You have to have some belief that he could come in there and change Sean Clifford's habits. It's this blind belief that you get from his time at Ohio State, his time at Texas, his time at uh, at Oklahoma State, where he had some of the most explosive and successful, you know, successful offenses for, you know, over the past decade. So Mike Yersich steps in as OC. He did have one year at Texas. He didn't change the scheme down there, but I think that's more of the weapons that he was handed with Sam Ellinger before that quarterbacks coach of Ohio State before that is where this scheme really tended to change. Yurisich ran uh, plenty of 11 personnel, but he mixed in 30% of 10, an empty back set, which, you know, the, a lot of these backs that are in Penn State's backfield, Noah Kane and some of the other guys, uh, you know, they can spread out and they can play slot and they can move all around the field. And you have to believe that Mike Yurisich's goal in week one is to get Sean Clifford to believe in himself, which he does. If you've gone out and read his Twitter or his Instagram or you read practice reports, Sean Clifford says that he feels like a new quarterback. He feels like a completely different quarterback. And I think that's, you know, that's good to hear from Sean Clifford, but it's something that we need to see. He had five big time throws last year and 10 turnover worthy plays. Uh, That's what led to backup Will Levis getting plenty of playing time and a weird season with a huge losing streak and then a big winning streak at the end. The Kirk Soraka hire and fire was quite interesting. I mean, he didn't change the scheme any when he came from Minnesota. He was still running 11 personnel, which they ran before. Uh, and I just don't, you know, there's, this is all, what do you believe Mike Yurisich can get out of Sean Clifford from a production standpoint? Has he built enough confidence in him to get this done? Now, when I started looking at the Wisconsin defense, I was in the same boat as you. I love this Wisconsin defense, right? The success rate is out the door. The finishing drives is out the door, as in they don't let people score the cross the 40-yard line. They're really good at stopping the chains. And they were number one in the nation in preventing havoc. But I think what surprised me is that they were terrible at generating their own havoc, 104th in sack rate. You know, it was just something where... Yeah, they went from you know, fifth in the, in the country to 104th in sack rate last year. It's a team that's known for, you know, especially from their linebacker position, generating a lot of pressure. But last year, yeah, they dropped outside the top 100 in sack rate. Yeah, like Jack Sanborn is like all of a sudden turned into a fantastic player in coverage, but not very good at getting to the quarterback. And and I think that was, you know, that these two defensive ends, they're just not going to apply any pressure at all. That's good news for Sean Clifford and the Mike Yurisich are rebuilding his confidence. So to me, the name of the game is simple. Uh, we're going to use shuttle passes. We're going to use bubble screens. We're going to use motion end arounds. We're going to get Jahan Dotson in the game. We're going to get some of these explosive playmakers that Penn State has in the system, get them the ball in some low risk situations for Sean Clifford to continue to build his confidence. The question is, is Wisconsin just going to sit back on their heels and say, we want to be number one in defending explosive plays again? If so, this could be an under game. This, I mean, the way that they kept people out of the end zone last year, this could easily be an under game if that's the way that Wisconsin is going to play defense. Now, on the other side of the ball, we talked about it all summer with Graham Mertz, you know, admitting that he had a shoulder injury along with COVID. The offensive line was still dealing with it, uh, with, with COVID injury. So, you know, you kind of wipe all that stuff from Wisconsin off the slate and you start to see what Paul Chris has said in his last presser. And I think the biggest thing that was surprising to me is that Jalen Berger is not the starting running back. Uh, This is a guy that was creating highlight yards, plenty of yards after contact, 
Uh, and Wisconsin's made the surprising announcement to go to Ches Malusi at running back, uh, the transfer in from Clemson. That surprises me because of what I've seen in the advanced numbers. Uh, Malusi had the lowest elusiveness rank of all backs at Clemson with at least 10 carries. Uh, but, you know, he had a bigger 2019 season, so I'm not sure if we want to take 2020 numbers from Clemson and apply them to here for Malusi. He did have a bigger season in 2019, but that was in terms of yards after contact. He will hit you and continue to run. But as far as creating missed tackles, that's not what Wisconsin has in the backfield. That's what Jalen Berger does. So I, I mentioned to see what the timeshare carrier is. It's really shocked by that. And then for the offensive line, players have been shuffling around. Uh, Tyler Beach is playing left tackle for Graham Mertz, but he's been hurt with a leg injury all through training camp. How effective is he going to be at stopping the Penn State, you know, attack on the edges from getting into Graham Mertz and disrupting some of that offense? So to, to me, I mean, there's a lot of things that can kind of play into the under here. And uh, again, we're back to, do you believe that Urisich can build Sean Clifford's, you know, confidence and getting points up on the board? So listen, uh, explosiveness is the missing ingredient here for Wisconsin from the offensive side. And that's their strength on the defensive side. One of the biggest differences in these defenses is tackling grades. And that's where I finally came to a decision that I do want to back Penn State. I want to, I want a six. Uh, you know, I, I know WinBet doesn't have a six. There may be a six. We'll see if there's some Wisconsin pumping in there. I make the line two and a half. I say Wisconsin minus two and a half. Uh, wow. You know, and, and that really makes it, uh, for me, a play on Penn State. But considering the fact that the tackling grades from last year are going to apply to this same defensive coordinators here, right? But Brent Pry has got to pry <laughs> havoc out of his unit. Uh, as to where Wisconsin is just going to return and do the same thing that they did last year. But when you look at the tackling grades, Penn State finished eighth in tackling last year and Wisconsin finished 76th. That's a huge drop off, especially when Sean Clifford is going to do his best to get the ball out of his hands as fast as possible to the skill positions in low risk situations. I'm going to go with Penn State on this one. I'm going to patiently wait for a six. Uh, it's not going to be a big play. I'm not going to shove a bunch of money over the counter on this. I, this game is going to be uh, you know, two heavyweights uh, throwing haymakers at each other. Uh, but you have to have a little bit of belief in Mike Yurcich, and you have to think that he has a game plan for keeping Sean Clifford's confidence. And I'm just not a fan of Wisconsin not creating havoc and not having a great tackling grade. Yeah, I have to – yeah, I have to disagree. I mean, I just don't believe in – I ultimately just don't believe in Clifford. And Penn State, look, right. Penn State has an excellent secondary. They have two uh, – and right now, NFL caliber players in the second, that's the strength of this defense. There's some talent, obviously, in the front seven. It's Penn State. They still get some talent, but it's very unproven, very inexperienced. They lost a lot of NFL talent. It's not Micah Parsons. It's not yeah, Micah it's Parsons. Not, not Micah Parsons for sure. Um, so I'll be curious to see how the defense looks, especially on that front seven, because you don't want to have a lot of questions uh, on that front seven. And I, I just have to – I also am throwing out, you know, you have to make decisions on what you're taking for priors. Like you mentioned some of these Wisconsin stats last year with a team like Wisconsin, a team like Houston, which we'll talk to. I threw a lot of it out. Like there was, they had so many COVID issues, so many injuries. Yeah. You know, I mean, Mertz, especially on the offensive end, you had Mertz who was hurt. You had the, their two best receivers who barely played. Um, but again, this is what makes this season so intriguing. So if I was, uh, but I think if I was, spot on. if I was playing college fantasy though, if, if I was playing a and rostering a college fantasy lineup, I absolutely would take tight end Jake Ferguson from Wisconsin because the the linebacker core for Penn State is the unproven part of that defense. And Graham Mertz just going over the top and hitting that little soft spot, I think to me is going to be the money play for Wisconsin offensively. 
Yep. Um, all right. Let's take a look. Let's let's finish off the Big Ten here, and let's talk Indiana at Iowa, three thirty Eastern on ESPN. Iowa is a four point favorite at WinBet, over under forty six. I'll make a case here for the under, which if you follow me on the Action Network app, you would have seen come through. Look, it's Iowa. You know, they're always going to be pretty conservative under Kirk Ferentz, but there's a lot of things that lead me to this under. Let's start when Indiana has the ball. So the first question, is Michael Penix healthy? We don't know, right? Is he fully healthy? Is he 100%? He had, he's had three season-ending surgeries. Is he fully up to speed? We will find out on game day if he is. If he's not, I mean, if he can't go, that's very bad news for the Indiana offense. You're going to get Jack Tuttle. Uh, but if he's not 100% and he's not mobile and he's a little hesitant, that's bad news for the Indiana offense. The Iowa defense, the strength of the Iowa defense is their secondary. Mm-hmm. And there are some questions with Iowa up front because, you know, they lost guys like Dixon, who was the, I think, Big Ten defensive lineman of the year. Golston, they're gone. There's studs on the defensive line. So, that's where I think Iowa is a little soft up front in the defensive side of the ball, but Indiana can't really run the ball. Right. I think that's where you're going to have to attack this Iowa team because they have a great secondary. And what do they, what do they never do? They never allow explosive plays, right? They don't allow, I think they were in top two or three last year. They're always going to be that way. They don't allow anything explosive down the field, but I think maybe early on, unless some guys emerge, you can run on some, you know, if you can, you have a good rushing attack, you can run on them. Indiana is not that team. What's that that mean? You're not that guy, pal. You're not that guy. <laughs> you're not that guy, pal. Trust me. You're not that guy. <laughs> That's Indiana's not what they averaged 3.3 yards per carry last year. It's not a great run blocking offensive line. They don't have a great rushing test. So I don't think they'll be able to explode that exploit that. They're gonna have to, you know, go have Penix be healthy, number one, and then just methodically go down the field throwing the ball against a team that you know, doesn't give up explosive plays and then is great in the red zone. Oh, and oh, by the way, Indiana's offense has a lot of red zone regression coming after last year. So it wouldn't shock me if they, you know, on the drives they do get down the field, they settle for a lot of field goals. On the other side of the ball, you have Iowa, who I think had the the lowest explosive rate in college football last year. Right. No, yeah. no explosiveness. You, you might not see any explosive plays in this game, right? So just long, methodical drives. They have no explosiveness. They're playing against an Indiana defense that brings back most of the starters that I think is a top 10 unit nationally. They have two All-Americans, Mike McFadden at linebacker and uh, Mullen at one of the corner spots. I think all four of their defensive backs got all Big Ten preseason honors. I, I really like this Indiana defense. It's a, you know, the four-two-five that Tom Allen installed. There's a new defensive quarter, but who cares? This is Tom Allen's defense. Not much is going to change from last year. Right. So I don't think that, you know, and Petrus last year, look, Iowa, you have to give them credit. They were they only had six practices. They were the fifth youngest team last year, and they almost went undefeated. I mean, they, they won their final, I think, five games. They blew two leads early on in the year in the two fourth quarter leads. They could have been undefeated last year. And by the way, for my Penn State people, they closed the year very strong as well. They won, I think, five straight to close the year. I have to throw that out there. But Petrus improved as the year went on, but this is not an explosive offense least explosive offense in the country. They lose Smith. They lost Smith and Smith-Marset at receiver. So, I mean, those two guys made NFL, I think, I, I don't know if uh, Smith-Marset's on an NFL roster. I don't. I think Smith's on the Cowboys still. Those two guys who made NFL rosters, and they had the least explosive offense in the country. So I have questions about, I, I just don't see Iowa 
you know, I, I think the tight end can have some success, a really good tight end. But the offensive line lost some players. You have a really good center, but you've lost a couple pros. And I know Ferentz, offensive line guy, they develop their offensive line very quickly and their offensive line is always going to be good. But, um, yeah, I just see both. I see a lot of advantages for the defenses. And I see, I don't see many explosive plays in this game, which is going to make it look like, if it goes according to how I'm thinking, make it look like a, you know, Old so Beth Moen should be on the call for this game. <laughs> it's gonna be a, a rock fight, and uh, Iowa can't rely on 55, maybe not 55 yarders. Their star kicker, Keith Duncan, is no longer there. What do you see here? Do you agree on my under? No one makes a 3 0 football game in the third quarter more exciting than, than, than Beth's call. I love it. Uh, so the, the handicap on Iowa this summer was they're fielding two defensive tackles that weigh, you know, maybe 280 pounds with their, with their uh, pads on. And that was an area of concern for me, but it was an area of concern against Indiana because they can't expose that. And we've talked ad nauseum about the the, the luck that was involved in some of Indiana's season. Now they've lost some of their targets. We don't know about Penix's health. Uh, You know, this is, they were the biggest regression candidate on the board and all of that's been said. And then with Iowa, the worry was the defensive tackles, which really can't be attacked by Indiana. And then the worry was that they lost their explosive targets on the outside. But the more you read into practice reports, uh, Spencer Petras may win the Heisman Trophy. Now, I say that with a little bit of a laugh, but Kirk Ferentz yesterday is coming out saying Spencer went into last season cold with no spring practice, no fall camp. He had COVID. He was quarantined for 30 days. uh, And it really kind of set him back at the start of last season. Uh, The difference between last year to right now is night and day. Now that's great hearing that from your head coach. Uh, when you're surprising Kirk Ferentz with the way that you're throwing the ball, uh, that's good news. But what else is your coach going to say? I think what's more important is the fourth year cornerback Riley Moss is Spencer Petrus's roommate, and you know they're going against each other every day in practice. And Moss, uh, you know, was quoted as saying, "You can tell he's a lot more comfortable. He is slinging the ball. He's not thinking about it. He's laid back and he's accurate." Uh, I am really excited to see what our offense is going to be able to do. And Spencer Petrus was asked about it in his you know, first press conference. You know, his first ever, right? He's not on Zoom anymore. And he said, I- I'm a little surprised myself at how fast I'm processing stuff, getting us the right play at the right time and as fast as I can do it. Uh, I feel good about both of those things. These are really encouraging signs. Now, I know there's no proven targets out there for Iowa. This line is moving the other way. And the reason why the line, I make this Iowa minus six and a half. And I'm at five, five and a half. Yeah. And the line is moving the other way. I mean, you, this is becoming a prime candidate for our boat anchor that we like to use on our money line round Robin parlay. I have, I have no issues laying Iowa in some juice in a game that probably should be pretty tight. You know, Spencer Petrus is, you know, opening game in Kinnick with the, the place is going to be loaded with fans and there's going to be waving to the children's hospital. And it's a big moment. Indiana secondary is tough, but I think we're going to see what the plan is in the passing game. Uh, we have unproven targets, but at the same time, I'm, you know, if you read between the lines from coaches and, uh, and roommates that are playing in the secondary on the other side of the ball through scrimmage, they're saying that Spencer Petras is a completely different player. So I'm looking to back Iowa all the way here. I'll just continue to let the line go down as everybody eats up this Hoosiers love. Yeah, it's worth noting. I mean, Iowa, they, they're, they're tackle, they are swapping their tackles. They have one of the best centers in, in college football in Tyler Linderbaum. 
Uh, they have two new guards, though. They're going to lean a lot on Tyler Goodson. It's it's Iowa at mm-hmm. running back. Sam Laporta is a very promising tight end. It's tight end you at, at Iowa. I, I agree with you. I mean, the total is also coming down. So, mm-hmm. and it's an Iowa game where so many of them are decided, you know, they win by three, four. So, you know, if people are anticipating this is going to be a really close, low scoring game, it makes sense that the, the line would come down. If I can get Iowa under, at, you know, under a field goal, I'm on it. Um, so I hope it does keep coming down. I am lower than the market on Indiana. I bet season win total under. They have a lot of regression coming. Turnover department, red zone. We don't know if Penix is healthy. And I just don't think it's a good matchup for their offense here. They don't have the power rushing attack that I can think that I think can attack the underbelly, the potentially weak underbelly of this Iowa defense. Yeah. So, uh, but it's an Iowa game. Like I, I don't really love the idea of laying, you know, when a line came five, six in a game, I think no is going to go under so this coming down if it goes under three i agree with you um and i think we have to mention though for people that i mean like i have a dime on indiana under right and yeah, i paid a hell of a bunch of juice to get it at the number that i got it but if you're you know sitting at the seven and a half or whatever maybe you don't want to play iowa money line because you're going to have to have this game so you know bet accordingly you don't want to double up on iowa and also have the win total at the same time so you know i'm loaded into the indiana under uh i need iowa to win here also so, you know, just bet accordingly. Don't forget that these games are going to play big in the futures market, especially when especially when you take Illinois over three and a half, right? And things like that happened last week. So make sure you remember your futures bets when you make this play. Yeah. By the way, Iowa, 22 straight games on 25 points or less. That's the longest Impressive. current FBS streak. Uh, and you're gonna if you back the under with me, you have two top two what I think could be two top ten secondaries in college football. It's all actually right, not let's... gonna be hot. It's not gonna be hot there at all. It's gonna be seventy four degrees. Like what a perfect day. Like I don't know weather, baby. Yeah, love it. Um, all right, let's move on to some non Big Ten and let's talk Alabama, Miami, three thirty Eastern on ESPN at WinBet. Alabama is a nineteen and a half point favorite over under sixty one. Under Nick Saban, Alabama, 14-0 in season openers, 11-2-1 against the spread, 6-0 against the spread against ranked opponents, winning by an average margin of just under 24 points per game. All of those wins came by double digits. And I'm going to tell you what, if I had a barometer up your ass to say whether you were giving effort or not, it was about 50%. Why did you push yourself? So the question is, do you have the stones to back <laughs> Miami. Now I think that there's a ton of value in this number and I've seen a 20 pop up, which I'll be, I'm just waiting to see there's, there's respected money on, on Alabama. There's mm-hmm. also going to be square money on Alabama, but there is respected money on Alabama here. I think this line should be like under two touchdowns. So uh, mm-hmm. give me the 21. It's obviously going to be an Alabama premium. Is Derek King fully healthy? Reports are yes, but that's a question just like Penix recovering from a season-ending injury last year. But, you know, look, we've been over Alabama a bunch in our preseason previews. New offensive coordinator, new quarterback, you know, you know, offensive line. They lost a lot of talent there. Lost a ton, unprecedented amount of NFL talent receiver of the past two seasons. So the same continuity isn't there, but it's Nick Saban and it's Alabama. They reload. But I do think that the Alabama's much closer to the version two years ago that we wanted to fade than last right. year's version, which yeah. we said, nope, don't talk. Yeah. Last year's rolled everyone two years ago. They didn't make the college football playoff. So, you know, but I think there's value in this number. Miami, if Derek King's healthy, type of quarterback that can give the Alabama defense trouble. 
he's very mobile. Alabama plays a lot of man defense. You've seen some quarterbacks that fit his profile give Saban's defenses uh, some some issues in the past. He's obviously one of the most talented quarterbacks in the country. Miami defense, not great last year, but Manny Diaz takes over the reins. I think that they're going to be improved this year, led by Bubba Bolden, potential All-American at safety. So it's scary fading Alabama, especially when you look at some of these numbers. I mean, 6-0 against the spread against ranked opponents in their season opener. They come out firing. They're ready. Saban has them ready. Average margin of victory, 24. But this line is simply too high. So I, at 20, I'm going to be on Miami. I'm just going to wait and see if this thing can get to 21. Thoughts? Yeah, I took a different angle in this. And if you want like a further detailed breakdown of it, my write-up will be out on Action Network. So I encourage everybody to go read that because... Would, would you, will you please preface that you took a different angle by first saying... <laughs> I'm scared. To, I'm scared of fading I'm Saban here. I'm 100% of fading Nick Saban here. I mean, let's, I, I don't know what, this podcast would be so much easier for over the years if you and I just showed up and said, we're betting Alabama, we'll see you next week, right? First or, half, or, double, first half or double. <laughs> right, odds makers make the spread 21 in the first half and 21 for the full game. We're just going to lay Alabama. We'll see you next week. Uh, call the voicemails. No, I, I don't want to fade Saban here whatsoever. And I, this is, Listen, two years ago, LSU, odds makers couldn't keep up. Math guys like myself couldn't keep up. No one could put a number on that team. Last year, Alabama, no one could put a number on that team. Maybe the greatest season ever from a college football team. First ever 10-game SEC slate, went undefeated, won the college football playoff. Not only that, went 9-4 and four against the spread and then injected a whole bunch of talent into the NFL. Uh, all this going on while Nick Saban becomes the winningest coach all time in national championships and ties Bear Bryant uh, at Alabama. One more to go to get above the Bear. So, you know, the Hurricanes, they didn't have a bad season. They went eight and three. They lost their biggest games on the schedule against North Carolina and Clemson. So, I mean, there's good news and bad news there. I mean, the good news is, is they finally remedied these issues where they have long layoffs and they show up to the Independence Bowl and they don't look like they know what the hell they're doing. They finally started showing up off bye weeks. Like Manny Diaz actually had a scheduled game plan for these guys and extra time off. So we don't have to worry about that anymore. Miami would be a complete fade. Although, you know, we'll have to see, you know, where they're at here with this against Alabama because the health of De'Ara King is the biggest story for the Hurricanes coming into this game. During scrimmages, his first scrimmage, he made a bunch of cuts on the turf and he looked 100% ready for this game. I'm not that worried about De'Ara King's health going into this game, considering he's had two scrimmages and he's made cuts just fine around this defense. I'm a little bit more worried about his health coming out of this game, considering the strength of this Alabama team, the heartbeat of this team this year is going to be that defense, especially the back seven. As for Miami, the defense returns 90% per tarp. That's a lot. Success rate in the finishing drives. Each took a dip last year. One thing that didn't take a dip, though, was the Hurricanes' havoc. They were 12th in the nation. They continue to get the ball turnover. They continue to get in backfields. That's something to watch for with Alabama. They're having a competition at center. Uh, you know, one of the fifth-year seniors competing for the job puts up some of the worst run and pass-blocking grades. So it's important to watch how the offensive line is after, you know, they basically, like I said, ejected a bunch of players uh, out of college football and into the NFL and we've said this before, the current spread, you're paying 2020 prices in 2021 for the Crimson Tide. It's just too high. But trust at what point, <laughs> are you, what are you going to do? You're going to trust the numbers or are you going to just keep rolling with saving? Why did you push yourself? And, you know, look, look at what's lost on the defense. Patrick Sertain is out. 
But then they go and they get a five-star recruit. The kid's got this unbelievable ranking at cornerback in Kool-Aid McKinstry. Like just watching, yeah, watching film of Kool-Aid was like the highlight of my week here doing digging and research. This Bama defense has the ability to be the best. I think they're going to be the best back seven in the nation. We'll save the Clemson-Georgia talk for the best front seven in the nation, but this will be the the best back seven in the nation. The defensive line has had... Uh, you know, a couple of new faces in there. We'll see what they can do from a nose tackle, what they can do in the A gaps. Uh, but you know, the, the biggest issue for Miami uh, is defensive coordinator Pete Golding and his attention to details. They always line up correctly, even when Alabama had bad defenses a couple of years ago. Saban jumped down Golding shit and was just all over him about fundamentals on defense, tackling, head on the side of the football, lining up in the correct spots. Those things kind of got lost with Golding, and Saban was paying more attention to the defense. If you read some of the practice reports, Saban could care less about what Bill Bryan's doing on offense. He is still working with Pete Golding on the defense. So what does that tell me? Miami's in big trouble. Because like I said, their two losses last year were to North Carolina and Clemson. And do you know why they lost those games? Because those two teams can tackle in space. And when you look at De'Aaron King against a defense like Clemson last year, if you take out the one explosive run he had, he had an explosive run for like 56 yards in the second quarter. If you take that out, he had 13 attempts and only 28 yards when he had designed runs. And when a team can tackle in space at the elite level of Clemson, that's big trouble for De'Aaron King, no matter how healthy he is, no matter how great he's doing. A defense like Alabama and what they've got in the back seven, loaded with all of this NFL talent, I don't think De'Aaron King's going to be able to do much in open space whatsoever. So I think that's the great equalizer to the tempo and the RPO that Rhett Lashley wants to, to put out there. You know, the point of attack for Miami is going to be the new defensive line of Alabama. But, I mean, there's going to be a clear limitation on explosive plays. Uh, the Hurricanes are, you know, both through the air and on the ground. Uh, you know, there's just Malachi Moore just shut down slots last year. Nobody got anything out of the slot position because of Malachi Moore. He returns. Can't wait to see Kool-Aid start shutting people down. Oh, yeah. What about the Bama offense, right? What are we going to do about Bryce Young and a new quarterback against this I don't know, Miami defense where Manny Diaz is taking a couple linebackers, put him at the end. He's trying to be thinner, faster. You still can get pushed around by bigger guys. Bill O'Brien said this in the preseason SEC pod, what ran the most 12 formation out of any NFL head coach. That means he ran two tight ends. What did Sark do? I mean, the numbers, uh, what Sark did still amazed me. Like the efficiency of this offense last year was just out of control. But go back and research in the numbers. In 2019, Sark ran the 12 formation, two tight end set, just on 22% of snaps in 2019. That doubled to 45% last year. Sark ran two tight ends, the 12 formation. It became a huge thing. So Bill O'Brien running the Texans in 12 all the time and coming into Alabama where Sark was running 12 and half the snaps, it's no change whatsoever. I mean, the only problem that's been come up on offense with the tight ends is Jaleel Billingsley having disciplinary issues. And Saban has made mention that he's got to learn to live within our rules. I'm not saying that Bryce Young is going to be dumping off the tight ends, but they're going to use the tight end sets, multiple tight ends to disguise things, to move pockets, to protect Bryce Young. And like I said about Sean Clifford, put him in low risk situations where, you know, Devonta Smith was doing end arounds or Jalen Waddle was doing motion. There's going to be a lot of motion here, uh, a lot of confusion for the Miami defense to try to keep contained. And to me, that's really where the whole handicap is. Miami has defensive ends that can't keep contain in practice. They can't contain Derek King. And if you can't contain Derek King, well, I've got a whole boatload of blue chip talent that's about to attack you from Alabama. 
So, you know, in my opinion, the ground game is going to be paramount for both teams. There's not going to be a lot of explosive plays, at least for Alabama in the beginning. It feels like an Alabama game where they go a first quarter with scripted plays and then boom, they just hit you. Uh, you know, it, it's a classic Alabama game where, you know, Saban, Golding, and O'Brien are going to make changes after the third or fourth series. They're going to shut you down and their offensive changes, what is going to put this cover in jeopardy. So I think from a live betting standpoint, I would want to get Alabama somewhere in the mid-first quarter, mid-second quarter. I don't think I would take this pregame if you're afraid of the price because it is high. But for me, I took under 31 and a half at the beginning of the week. Why? Because both of these offenses have said it's ground-based. We're not going to go through the air whatsoever. And Alabama's defense back seven is the best in the nation. I don't expect any explosive plays. I don't expect them to be passed over. I don't expect anybody to get anywhere. I I feel like there's going to be a ton of punts. And we have, uh, I'll let you talk to the punting, but I mean, this is not too shabby of some special teams for the, for these teams. So first half under for me, it's still sitting around 31. So I think you should get it sooner rather than later. And I will be looking to bet Alabama live at my projection of 14. Yeah, I have to trust my math here. Everyone's just also assuming Bryce Young's going to be amazing on his first start ever, not make mistakes. That's crazy. Uh, against, uh, against a you know defense that continuously is up there in havoc and, and does force yeah. you into mistakes and have with Manny Diaz. His focus is going to be on blitz and havoc. That's it. I mean, the weakness on the Miami defense, which does return almost 90% of their snaps from last year, and added Stevenson, the cornerback from Georgia, you know, added Johnson, the defensive end from Tennessee, I think is – is going to be better. Now Miami's going to go fast with Lashley so that, you know, if it is a bluff, that doesn't necessarily help you, but I think this number is too high. What I'll make Bryce young, you know, prove it to me. Plus there's going to be wide open chances for back doors. I mean, this is sitting yeah. 24 in the fourth quarter. So give me the U we're waiting on 21 though. All right, let's move on to the night slate. We have two marquee games in prime time, which I can't wait for. They're going to be both going on at the same time. Let's start at 7.30 Eastern. You got enough TVs this weekend? I got the whole... I'll be home. I'll be home this weekend. You'll be home? I'm going home, flying home at like 6 in the morning. Hopefully I can get to the Philly airport. Philly's flooded out from... Uh, down in Avalon, but Oof. I'll be back. Uh, I won't. I would never be this. I will never be away on uh, a college football Saturday. Yeah, let's start seven thirty Eastern. It's the big one. Clemson, Georgia at WinBet. Georgia's a three point underdog. This I should mention. This is on a neutral field. Alabama, Miami's on a neutral field. Over under fifty and a half. Seven thirty Eastern. ABC. Look, these are two of the best teams in the country. Georgia now has an offense to go with with JT Daniels to. Go with their always stingy defense. It's a championship caliber team now. Clemson, championship caliber team. I'm not going to tell you anything you don't already know. I want to see this Georgia secondary against Clemson's passing attack. But look, sometimes the line is just right. To me, this line is right. Um, if you got four, four and a half, great. But I have, I'm have i invested in this game. I have Georgia plus 175 to go to the playoff. I have Georgia eight to one to win the national title. Win this game, I mean, you're in a good position. For both those bets, and it, and it shows that they beat Clemson on a neutral field. So I'll be watching. I'll be rooting for Georgia. Might have a second half play. I know everyone has the itch. I'll have plenty of plays on Saturday. This won't be one of them. Um, I think this line's right. I make it – I'll tell you the exact decimal. I make it two. So I make it Clemson minus two. I would have taken four and a half, 
I should have. I didn't. I, I still had some questions about Georgia. I, I, I feel a little less worried about them after some review, but I missed the number. And three is, um, you know, about right. I'm not going to take minus two when I make it minus three. So I got nothing here. I think this will be an excellent football game. It's a great way to, you know, have our first Saturday primetime game with these two teams playing on a neutral field with huge college football playoff implications. So maybe you can help us find a play. By the way, if you want to get invested with me, you can also bet on, you know, if you have Georgia futures from our preseason podcast, Colin, what do you got here? This is a college football playoff game that we're getting in week one. I mean, it's a gift from the football gods, especially with DJ Uangalele uh, and JT Daniels starting the national title runs and their Heisman runs. And we talked about all summer that, this game will create value for the loser, especially if that loser is Clemson and the cupcake schedule that they have afterwards. But that'll be something that we'll discuss on our wrap-up podcast along with our, our voicemails, which are hopefully nice to us uh, next time that we meet. So JT Daniels, you know, finished the 2020 season winning four straight. He showed an impressive comeback against Cincinnati. He made a lot of mistakes early in that game, but three scoring drives in the fourth quarter against a secondary that's going to be playing at the next level uh, just is icing on the cake for Daniels, who, you know, finally got into the season, got Stetson Bennett on the bench, got Dwan Mathis to transfer, uh, you know, Daniels into the season with a 10 to 2 TD to INT ratio. Uh, more importantly, he had 11 big time throws versus six turnover worthy plays and his average depth of target was over 12 yards. So what that means is, is he throws it deep. He throws it accurate. Uh, he is a legitimate Heisman candidate and this game will go a long way in determining that the problem is, is, you know, there have been injuries. There are a lot of outs in this game and it's just been a constant daily wake up and search and see what Georgia's got on the field. Now, one thing to note is that like the East coast has just been hammered with precipitation, just rain like crazy and specifically in the carolinas there's been a lot of rain but if you go and look at uh, bank of america stadium where the panthers play they've installed new turf uh they have this new uh, uh turf system uh that, that that drains you know rolls up drains it does everything possible so for those of you that are worried that there could be some sloppy field uh conditions for the running games and the passing games or more importantly jt daniels trying to throw it down the field or dj trying to throw it down the field i don't think that's going to be a problem here with what uh you know the panthers have on their home turf will the sack rate allowed a 54th improve with this offensive line uh clemson has the best defensive front seven in the country with miles murphy on the edge brian Brees on the interior and xavier thomas still there former ps number one uh he's at defensive end for brett venables and you know but film I think what's interesting is that Brent can watch as much film as he wants about Todd Munkin and what the offense did last year, but Todd Munkin was 100% transparent. You didn't even see half my playbook last year. Uh, I didn't have the personnel in place. I didn't have JT Daniels. I didn't have what I needed in place to run my playbook. And what he's trying to say, not actually say it is that Georgia is finally going to play real college football, uh, come to the modern era and they're going to pass on first down which, you know, they have the right quarterback in place. They have the right, they did have the right weapons until a, a slew of injuries and off field stuff started happening. Uh, so I expect Munkin to be throwing and throwing early. Uh, if there's any success rate behind that whatsoever, this is, I, I think tempo could be a part of this game. And Clemson's front seven is unquestionably probably the best in the nation. And the only place to attack Clemson is in the back seven. 
there certainly is, you know, missing DeAndre, Deion Kendrick has moved over. He's now in the Georgia Bulldogs secondary. Uh, there is a, a freshman corner, I believe, starting uh, for Clemson. So, you know, there are targets for JT Daniels to go after. The problem is the injuries have been such a big part of training camp. Uh, Pickens, Blaylock, they're out at the wide receiver group. Tight end Eric Gilbert is away from away from the school. Uh, got some personal things he's taking care of. And, you know, tight end Darnell Washington out with a foot injury. That leaves at the tight end position, John Fitzgerald, who was struggling with a knee injury. Uh, I think he had like five catches last year. So, I mean, it's, there could be a lot of empty, it could be a lot of non-tight end sets here. Uh, We'll we'll see what they throw out there, but the wide receiver group did get good news with Kiaris Jackson, Jermaine Burton. They're going to be in now. Are they dinged up or are they fully healthy? Uh, We'll find out, but you know, I'm a little nervous also about the shakeup on the offensive line. They've been swapping positions because of injury, and they're going to see, you know, there could be a lot of moving pockets, misdirection. Daniels re- uh, releasing the ball after one and a half seconds is probably what he's been working on all week, considering that Clemson is going to come uh, full speed ahead right at him. And so the offensive line has got to protect JT Daniels, or, you know, this game is going to be won by the 2018 Clemson defense that shut down everybody. One of the best defenses it was ever in college football. Brent Venables may uh, have to change his defensive signals because we talk about Darian Kendrick transferring from Clemson, knew, knew all of Venables' signals, and that also helps JT Daniels. JT Daniels now knows what the alignment's going to be for Brent Venables. Will Georgia go to the sugar huddle? Will Todd Munkin throw on first down? This is the drama that we get to look forward to, and I can't wait. But I have confidence in JT Daniel attacking this secondary. I think the Darian Kendrick you know, move is bigger than people think for both sides of the ball for Georgia. You know, they they do lose Tyke Smith. He was one of the bigger transfers they got in from a great West Virginia uh defense. So, you know, we'll see what Georgia can do defensively against DJ. Uh, but again, Darian Kendrick knows when DJ uh, Uangaleli gets up to the line and he makes calls out, Kendrick knows what those are. And so you would have to think over the last three weeks, Clemson's had to work on a whole new package of what DJ is barking out at the line of scrimmage. Or else if they don't change any of that, I'm sure Dabo did, but if they don't change any of that, Clemson's in deep trouble. So there is mention of Georgia going tempo. That's pretty much music to my overbetting ears. Uh, the yeah, fact that you're saying sounds like you're like you're going to you lean towards us over at 50 and a half. Well, Clemson was finished 34th in seconds per play, and Georgia had an increase in tempo later in the year. If you look at Georgia overall last year, it's like 79th in seconds per play, but that's Dewan Mathis and Stetson Bennett. Once you got JT Daniels in there, the tempo really picked up. Uh, this is a number I would have made 61 at the end of the last season, considering how fast Georgia was running. Uh, the injuries to the skill positions that give me, you know, a, a little discouraged me. That's probably what's keeping the number down so far. Um, I mean, the, the only case that I can make is that Georgia is going to try to run tempo. DJ is going to attack the Georgia secondary. And that if these deep passes connect, this game's going to fly over. Now, if the front seven of both of these defenses are in control, this game's going to go way under. But I expect Todd Munkin's offense to be on. I don't think it's going to be scripted. I think from the very start of go, you're going to see JT Daniels and Todd Munkin and what they've been cooking up for months. So give me the over, give me Georgia, Georgia, the national title might not even take the points. We'll see if I take them on the show Saturday, money lined. All right. Maybe I'll, I said I wasn't going to pregame. Maybe I'll mull over that over. I'll take a closer look. Cause you make some good points there. And yeah, we'll talk about this game, obviously much more in depth on Saturday on our Saturday morning show on Twitter. All right, let's move on to the last marquee game of the week. LSU at UCLA. The LSU is minus two and a half minus half, minus one twenty at WinBet. 
over under 65. This game is 8.30 Eastern on Fox. Uh, I took some three and a half. I make mm-hmm. this game a pick. You make, I think you make UCLA a favorite. Yep. <laughs> I took any, anything over a field goal I wanted. There's also a lot of other things working in UCLA's favor. Yes, they played last week and, you know, we were, we were high on UCLA coming into the year. We thought the offensive line was the best that it's been on for Chip Kelly. You know, he finds, it's year four. He has all his recruits. We thought the defense, which is, you know, very good at creating havoc and sacks, was going to take a step forward this year with their coverage. On the outside, they switched to more man and they had an adjustment period. A lot of blown coverages last year. We think they're going to be better in that aspect. You know, DTR back at quarterback with, you know, two very good transfer running backs who showed out last week against Hawaii. Now, we know Hawaii's run defense is, is no good. But there's, you know, so we were high on UCLA coming into the year. And then you have LSU who, you know, some offensive line concerns in camp. They have a lot of injury concerns. You know, they've held out a lot of guys out of, out of camp and practice. So that's a question on, you know, who's actually going to be able to go. One of their promising freshman receivers that already said isn't going to play. They could have potentially missing a couple other players, but there's rust and, and maybe some of these players aren't hundred percent, but they got a new, you know, a new defensive coordinator, a new play caller. A lot of change. They, you know, you say they just want to simplify the defense, and they do have maybe the, you know, arguably the best cornerback tandem in college football. They have a talented defensive front, but you know, then throw in the fact that they were displaced by Hurricane Ida. I mean, they had to go to Houston, and it took them ten hours to get there. I mean, normally a four, four or five hour drive. On a drive, bus. I think. On yeah. A so their whole week, in you know, there goes that like film advantage that you had by looking at what UCLA did. But I don't think UCLA did anything crazy last week, and then they just kind of sat on it in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think LSU is vulnerable here. The reports are also that remember that they lost their projected starter, Brennan, a quarterback. Then Johnson took over. Reports haven't been great of, of how he's looked in in camp, and neither has the offensive mm-hmm. line. Now I know they've held out some guys, but. There's just a lot going on with this LSU team coaching changes, you know, all injuries and Hurricane Ida and UCLA is much more of a known commodity. And just from a power in perspective, I'd make this a toss up. So, of course, I took three and a half. Uh, I would try to find, see if you can find three and a half. I don't think you will be able to, but I, I would take three, too, given, you know, especially you, you make them, I think, closer to the field goal favorite. Yeah. Given all these other extenuating circumstances, um, I like UCLA. I think they're going to win this game, but they, they're becoming, they feel a little too trendy now, but yeah, that's how I yeah, feel. they do. Well, uh, they do feel a little trendy, but let's, you know, I'm not going to go over the whole entire box score for a Y cause it doesn't matter. Right. That game is in the past and that was a glorified scrimmage, but I think it's important to call out a couple of things that could be important to this game against LSU. Zach Charbonnet had six carries, three touchdowns, bundles of yards after contact and created a ton of missed tackles. And what I found even more, and everybody knows that Charbonnet scored three touchdowns, but what I found more interesting is I went back and watched this game like over and over and over. And really I went back to see where DTRs and completions were. Uh, I, if you watch Britton Brown, uh, every time he got a carry and he got to the eight to 10 yard range and then he got tripped up, like he never broke one out. Like I think he had 68 total yards, but he never broke one out. He was pissed. He was pissed. Like he was slamming the ball, getting up, running back. He knew Charbonnet was just making highlight reels all day that I was clipping, throwing out on Twitter, and he wasn't getting any love from social media because he couldn't break any off. So I think that is great for the locker room that these two are competing with each other to steal some highlights. Like, you got to know that there's this 
competition between these two to, to, to have the most, you know, explosive play. So I, I think that's really good to watch. The other one that I wanted to comment on was DTR. When you look at it from, uh, you know, a high level view at the box score, it looks like 10 of 20 in the passing, but you need to go back and realize the fact that he had five wide receiver drops. The, and I went back and reviewed the tape. They were straight to him, just came down. So five of them were straight out drops. Five of them came from pressure where DTR rifled it through the end zone past the field goal post, knew the pressure was coming up the middle, had no problems making a quick decision and firing it through the end zone. Um, I was encouraged by what I saw out of DTR. He did let loose once in the run game and went and, you know, high need somebody in the face. But I think what we need to take away from that game is the 4-2-5 defense of Jerry Azanero on the redemption tour this year, after finishing 121st in defensive rushing success rate, they stuffed 10 of 19 Hawaii rushing attempts, a 52% stuff rate when the national average is like 20 something percent. So uh, very impressive there by the 425 defense. UCLA looked pissed off. The Warriors averaged 2.2 yards on passing downs. Uh, every UCLA hat was around the football for every tackle. This team was fired up. I expect it to be the same. And they didn't really have that many fans in the, in the stadium. It wasn't really an environment for hot college football, but UCLA came to play. So, you know, I think what we see out of UCLA, that's going to continue. Uh, we're going to continue to see a defense that is pissed off on a redemption tour to prove that they have something to go. The focus really is on LSU. And you mentioned all everything, even the freshman wide receiver that was going to be lining up on the opposite side of Keyshawn Booty. You know, they needed to find another receiver or else, you know, they're going to be able to just focus in on booty and that's where max johnson lefty max johnson was just going to focus all his time was throwing out to booty but now they don't have a lot of answers outside of that and they need john emory who i mean let's review john emory's career here guy is super fast super elusive and he almost won the job from clyde edwards lar back in 2019 he didn't get the job but he's still there in the program with lsu but this offensive line has had injuries all through camp now a lot of these guys that had injuries that were dinged up, the Eli Ricks at corner, Derek Stingley at corner, a lot of offensive linemen, they they had three days of practice in Houston after they bust over. They all played. So yeah, they're, the off, play, of they're, they're all expected to play. So will that hurt them to start this game? Especially after UCLA is just, you know, uh, running around the field like they robbed a bank. Uh, so we'll, we'll see, you know, game speed if it takes LSU, especially on the offensive line. But the whole feeling, I think people need to really backtrack on this LSU team. The goal of this season was to bring Jake Peets in. Jake Peets is a new offensive coordinator. He had one season as a quarterback's coach under Joe Brady, who's the offensive coordinator at Carolina and was the passing game coordinator and is the reason for the national championship along with Joe Burrow. So anyways, Jake Peets is now in, never been an offensive coordinator in his life, comes in, fired up, flipping tables, uh, got everything going on. But Miles Brennan is the quarterback that he wanted. Miles Brennan is the one that could throw it deep. He's the one that could throw it accurate. And Max Johnson doesn't have that long of an arm. Max Johnson does not have that kind of accuracy. And Max Johnson, the, the, the defense won every scrimmage. And Johnson was making throws, bad decisions, crowded pockets. Uh, even when there's like he's not even being allowed to be touched, uh, he was making bad decisions. So I would keep my eyes open for Grant Neusmeyer. Uh, this is a kid that threw up massive numbers at quarterback, freshman quarterback for LSU. I'm not saying he's going to save this game or save LSU's season, but I would not be surprised whatsoever if Neusmeyer is in there playing pretty quick if Max Johnson isn't able to get it together. Now, on the defensive side of the ball, 
Edo said he's going to focus on Durante Jones's, you know, play calling and scheming. They're moving to a four, three, uh, the linebackers have some serious talent, but the more I did some digging, I really got uncomfortable with what I read out of LSU. And so when you look at that defensive line, which is important because of Zach Charbonnet, Britton Brown and DTR, when you look at this LSU defensive line, uh, you look at Ali Gay and, and Andre Anthony are returning to the ed- edge positions. They had 450 snaps last year. Gay had continued issues with missed tackles and setting contain on the edge. That's where they're going to attack in the rushing game. And then if you look at Anthony, he struggled in generating a pass coverage. He just, he created only 16 hurries and 300 opponent drop back passes. So when the passing comes, you can bet the DTR is going to be looking in the way of where Anthony is. And when they run, it's going to be in the way of where gay is because he can't set contain. He can't keep players and keep it inside the tackle. So uh, when you look further into the defensive tackles, they're starting a true freshman now, albeit he's like a five-star six foot six Goliath of a guy uh, at defensive tackle, Mason Smith, true freshman, just a monster. But I mean, this is his first game ever in the, in the Rose bowl after uh, having, you know, being displaced out of Baton Rouge and then bus riding to Houston, flying to LA. His first game is in the Rose bowl. I mean, that's gotta be daunting. I don't care if you're six, six and, and, and the size of a mountain. I mean, that's something to pay attention to, but you know, Neil Farrell struggled with gap integrity last year. Uh, you know, he's one of the defensive tackles that uh, I'm sure DTR and company are aiming to run straight at. I expect UCLA to rush a lot at Farrell in between the tackles, using misdirection to confuse Gay on the outside contain, uh, challenging the true freshman in his first game ever in the Rose Bowl. This was a pick that I made back in July when week one lines were put out. I'm not backing off of it. I would still buy it at two and a half. And I can almost 99.9% guarantee unless injuries come through, this is going to be a part of our money line round robin parlay on the Saturday show. Yes, sir. All right, before we move on to our Havoc round, a quick reminder to our listeners. The Big Bets on Campus podcast is presented by WinBet Sportsbook, and they've got a great sign-up offer for you par ladies and the gens this season. New WinBet patrons who open an account and deposit $20 or more can make their first bet risk-free up to $1,000. That's right. If you open a new WinBet account, make a qualifying deposit, and place your first bet within 10 days, that bet is risk-free up to $1,000 ineligible states a thousand dollars that's probably more than bojangles is paying tank bigsby this season <laughs> but to take advantage of this win bet offer just click on the action network link in this episode description must be 21 or older to gamble don't want to stop before you start gambling problem called 1-800-GAMBLER all righty let's get back to the show let's get to our havoc round just name you know throw out a couple bets and reason or two why uh i'll, I'll start here i'm gonna i wrote both of these games up on the action Network cap, it went really in depth. So I urge you to check them out. I went into each team's offense and defense and special teams and trenches, anything you can think of. And that's Texas tech, Houston, who play at NRG Houston. I played plus one and a half. I make them about a field goal, a little more than a favorite against Texas tech. I think that Houston, look, they've had two years and a very similar situation with the coaches, right? Matt Wells, year three, two disappointing years, Dana Holgerson, year three, two disappointing years. But I think Houston has had a lot more excuses, right? That Derek King at their brutal schedule transfer, they had all those transfers at their four weeks, two years ago. Last year, injuries, COVID, and, you know, they had eight games, I think, canceled or postponed. They didn't even start until middle of October. This is the year I think it all comes together. 
They did lose two players to the NFL on the defense side of the ball, but they bring everyone else back. They bring in some intriguing transfers. And I ultimately just don't try. Look, there's just so much going on with this Texas tech team. You know, you have a new offensive coordinator and Sonny Cumbie who's coming in. You have a new quarterback, Tyler Shuck, who's coming in from Oregon. They have two new receivers. They're starting running back. Roderick Thompson's read, who led them in rushing the past two years. He might not play. He's banged up. There's a lot going on. The defense, they think it's going to be better. It's a lot of experience. They have more super seniors than anyone in the Big 12. But there's a lot going on here. Houston, I think the offense is going to be great. I, I think Clayton Toon, in his fourth year, his first full offseason, you know, without interruptions as the known starter in that Holgerson air raid with a, a very experienced now offensive line, I think is going to be good. And I think this Houston team has a lot of sleeper potential. I think that they should be favored here by at least a field goal over Texas Tech. I still have questions about that defense. They just can't get to the quarterback, which then, you know, and then you lose your your all Big 12 cornerback who went into the NFL draft and you got to replace him. And so this, they used to get attacked this defense. Houston also has a special teams edge. The other one, Georgia State Army, noon, got to get my Army game out there. I love Georgia State. Now, who knows? Army, what this comes down to is, and I play Georgia State money line. The line came down to two. It's a field goal isn't as important in the service academy game. They like to go for it on fourth downs. I could see either one of these teams go for two at the end. But Georgia State, I love this team. I played season win total over. Their defense is improving. The question in this game is, and they bring back everyone on their offense. They bring back all 11 starters from a record-setting offense for their, their program. They have great receivers. Uh, it, the offensive line, everything is great on this offense. They're going to score. I think the defense is trending up. They have a really good corner, really good safety. And entire defense, these two teams play two similar offenses, three, four defenses, aggressive, is to shut down the run and to get to the quarterback. For you, you look at their sack rates and tackle for loss last year. Georgia State can really get after this. But the question becomes, can they stop the triple option? And they did lose a lot of talent at linebacker. The, net, the sack leader from last year transferred out. They lost two others to graduation. That's the cap versus an Army team that lost four offensive linemen. They only bring their center back. Army used to replacing offensive linemen. You know, turnover isn't as big of a deal for service academies. Uh, but they have a million quarterback, quarterbacks. They have two listed as the starters going into this year. But I actually think Georgia State linebacker will be fine. You know, they return a starter from two years ago. Um, you know, they have a couple ACC transfers coming in. That's the cap for me. I think their linebackers will be fine. Extra preparation time here to prepare for the triple option. Army 5-11 and 11 against the spread in season openers. That speaks to that extra preparation you get. Plus, Georgia State has seen the triple option before. They see it with their rival, Georgia Southern. Oh, and guess what? They played Army in 2019. They beat them 28-21 at home. I think Georgia State opens this season with a win. It won't be easy. These are high-variance, low-possession games. When Georgia State won that game, they only had six possessions in 2019 against Army. They had six possessions all game. They scored four touchdowns. Um, and Ant Lane, who's still on the team, had the, the game-sealing interception against Army. So a lot of those guys that were on, on the team now were on that team in 2019. They see the option with Georgia Southern, extra time to prepare for it. Uh, I think that they'll get enough stops here and – Look, Army has a pretty good secondary this year, especially for Army standards, but Georgia State's receivers are excellent. I think that they will make enough plays and find a way to win this game. Georgia State money line. What do you got? Throw out a couple of bets. 
Yeah, let's go quick here. I mean, I, I wrote up North Carolina, Virginia Tech. I like the under in that game. I am not a believer in Braxton Burmeister. Sam Howell does have new weapons. He's got to take a while to figure that out. So whether you want to split that up into first half or full game, uh, I am not intimidated by inner Sandman, and I don't believe that uh, North Carolina will be either. Uh, fishy line, very fishy line, taking a ton of North Carolina money, yet it will not come off and, and jump up above that five and a half. So keep your eyes out there. Moving on to Saturday, I've already taken Marshall, uh, took him on the money line. I'd take him again at minus two and a half. Charles Huff may be one of the best hires uh, in college football coming out of Alabama. Uh, praise. Listen, Navy uh, in the first game of the season, uh, this is this is sort of tough go here for them, for their defense uh, going up against this Marshall rushing attack. At the same turn, uh, Marshall's going to be able to play, you know, they know how to play gap integrity defense. Uh, I have no issues about them uh, going up against the triple option. And more importantly, Navy's worst in the nation at pressuring quarterbacks. And if you're going to give Grant Wells time in a pocket, he's going to hit everybody alive. He's proven that before. UMass Pittsburgh may not be on a lot of people's radar, but I can it's guarantee <laughs> I can guarantee you that Mark Whipple is sitting around his house uh, just waiting for kickoff to this game after he was had allegations, fired, quit. It did not end pretty at UMass, and I can and and there was problems with them leaving the MAC, going independent. Whipple having issues with that. Whipple having allegations. I watch that Pittsburgh. Watch that Pitt UMass game. Watch those numbers. I think the over is probably the appropriate play because I don't see Whipple stopping there. Still going down the board on Saturday. Tell me why San Jose State and Nick Starkle can't beat USC. Tell me why you would back an air raid offense in game one of the season when there have been injuries and timing and all that stuff that comes along with Graham Harrell and Kadon Slovis. I don't see any reason why San Jose State can't keep up here. So give me some of that. Keep your eyes on the Oregon State-Purdue number. I took the over earlier in the week at 66. That number up to 69 now at, at WinBet. There is some weather in the forecast that is rising, and if that gets higher, there could be a buyout by me, especially if it gets into the 70s. Akron Auburn, Tion Dollard officially not on the Akron oh, roster. So I, day. yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we can't bet the zips this year at all. Zips. And I think what's most important. I'll find is, a way. <laughs> I think what's most important here is that Brian Harson is going to want to make an impression in his first game. And he is known for getting quarterbacks to improve on their explosiveness and success rate. They oh, next season. <laughs> Bo Nix season in full effect. They pull Bo Nix out, out of the game. Guess what? TJ Finley can light it up too. So uh, covering the spread or the over is definitely on the table. UTSA, meep meep, going up against victorious Illinois, who's probably only thought about this big win against Nebraska. Uh, these are going to be two ground heavyweights punching each other in the face. And if you're going to give me that situation, I'm going to take sincere McCormick all day. Now they do not have the trench to hang with Illinois. I can't believe I'm saying that about Illinois after just one game, but this is still a UTSA team uh, with a bunch of recruits that weren't good enough to play in power five, which they'll probably be pissed off. The under on Illinois games all year, probably a good play. I do like UTSA to to challenge there. Uh, Florida and Florida Atlantic. Uh, I believe the quote from Dan Mullen was, we paid Florida Atlantic $1.5 million to play this game. You better bet we're going to get every penny out of this. So I, I another over lean there. Kent and Texas A&M, I, there's not going to be a pregame. I don't care what this number flirts at with Kent. You can't convince me that after the first quarter of this game, that live line is not going to be 38 or 40. So that's what I'll be looking for live on game day. So you can't convince me that, you know, Kent isn't going to be live around 41 in the second quarter, which for me will be a good time to fire. The 
total is getting up there for a team that moves as slow as Texas A&M. They do have explosive weapons, but they should not be in the game past the second quarter. So then you're going to rely on second and third stringers from A&M to help out with that 67. I think the better play is to wait for Kent State to get into the 40s live and then come in on that because they're going to play through the fourth quarter. All right, there you have it for the Havoc round. Let's move on to FC yes or no. Southland or SEC? Big Sky or Big Ten? It's time to play FC yes or no. Pick one game, Colin, that you want to talk about featuring an FCS team. I'll start. I got to mention Iowa State, Northern Iowa here. Look, Iowa State, we know that they're notorious slow starters. Facing Northern Iowa week one before playing Iowa, which they who they play next week, they've lost five times in a row. It's going to go a long way in determining their season if they can find either six-point favorites next week. But here's what's happened. When they played Northern Iowa, an FCS school, in the opener before playing Iowa. It's happened three times in Campbell's era. Uh, they lost outright in 2016, 25-20, as 23-point favorites. 2017, they rebounded, won 42-24 as 10-point favorites. 2019, they won 29-26 in triple overtime. So they have not necessarily came out here and taken care of business. And I didn't even mention in 2018, late in the season, they beat Drake 27 to 24. They were favored by 40 and a half points. So Iowa State, very slow starters. They haven't blown out these in-state little brother FCS teams. Now, I think it's going to be a big uh, point of emphasis on starting fast, right? Iowa State this year. So I wouldn't be surprised if they come out and roll in this first half. I mean, history suggests they won't. But if they do, I'm on Northern Iowa in the second half. Competent FCS team. And I don't expect Iowa State. What does Iowa State have to work on with Iowa next week? Health. That's it. I mean, this is a team as much experienced as anyone in the country. They know their defense. It's Brock Purdy, Brees Hall. I mean, the offense, everything's back, right? All the coaches. There's nothing to really work on. So the second half, I don't expect them to do anything. If they have a big lead, Northern Iowa second half is the look there. I wouldn't even hate looking at Northern Iowa plus 31 and a half, by the way, based on what Iowa State has done in these spots. I am just a little afraid of, is this the year they finally are like, all right, we're all about starting fast. And they come out and they finally put up 30 in the first half and go up 30, nothing. I don't know, but that's, that's a look there. What uh throw out a game featuring an FCS team. I'm going to go two quick ones real quick. Friday night, uh, St. Francis uh, against Eastern Michigan. Uh, Eastern Michigan is going to field probably the worst defensive backfield in all of the MAC. And St. Francis is 100% pass with two of the best wide receivers in their respective conference in FCS. I like the over in that game. And then I believe all eyes on Saturday have to be on our Campbell Camels. The Campbell University Camels from Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. Check it out. If you were not around last year for last year's podcast, the Campbell Camels return every single starter except for one. 20 returning starters, including quarterback Haj Malik Williams going up against Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. Absolutely has got to be the G5 FCS game watch of the week. Win bet yet to put out a spread. We're expecting somewhere in the 20s. Uh, I, I'm not sure how serious Liberty is going to take this game with Troy on deck. Troy is a very decent team. How much of the you know game plan have they installed? 
I would assume Hugh Freeze is taking Campbell seriously, considering what they did and covered, uh, I think, in three straight before finally. I think they played four games in 26 days last year, which they kind of fizzled out at the very end. So uh, definitely for me, a must watch from a very experienced and uh, talented group of Campbell going up against a Liberty team. I don't know if you can have a what's called a look ahead to Troy, but you have to think they've already started installing the game plan for their first FBS game next week. F, what is what is their roll humps? Is that the the slogan? Roll humps, <laughs> roll humps for the fighting we, camels. I, if we can get one voicemail in, in on the cam Campbell camels, uh, it make me happy because God, I love that. I they love store that camels store fat, by the way, in their humps. You know that? Not water, fat. Um, That's what that is. Huh. Yep. Um. All right. Before we get out of here. We have a little robust three and out. Let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. Sunday night. We have Sunday night college football this week. Prime time in Tallahassee. Notre Dame at Florida State at Winbet. Notre Dame is a floating between a seven, seven and a half point favorite today. Probably right around a seven point favorite when you're listening to this tomorrow. Uh, I played Florida State plus seven and a half. I make this line like Four and a half, five. Getting over a touchdown is really important. I think Florida State's going to be really improved this year. The biggest question mark on that on their team. I mean, look, Mike Norvell came in last year in a nightmare situation, and he had new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator in the COVID year. Expect a bump. Just you know, he had a full offseason. This is a guy who knows how to get offense going. The biggest problem over the last couple of years. I mean, recruiting has shut off. There's been culture problems, but there's been the offensive line. I actually like. You know, I don't mind the offensive line this year. They brought in a Notre Dame, a transfer from Notre Dame is going to start at guard. You know, love Taylor, the transfer from FIU. Very good offensive line. He got hurt last year in November. He's back. Uh, then you had, they were starting four freshmen last year. Set Their center is back. He was a freshman All-American. And their two tackles were now a redshirt freshman. Had redshirt freshman or fresh, true freshman All-American honors in certain publications. I think the offensive line is going to take a big step forward this year. And it, they, they haven't listed their quarterback yet. So it's, it's, uh, they're going to, it's, I, I don't know what it's going to be. It's going to be Mackenzie Bilton. Is it going to be Jordan Travis? I think they're going to start with Jordan Travis. Um, Norvell likes a running quarterback, but you're going to see Milton in there. And the defense, I expect to be a little better. And Notre, look, Notre Dame has four offensive linemen that, that were on their team last year that are now in the NFL. And they lost the M book. And now you have Jack Cohn, who I'm not a huge fan of. Questions that they're, on the outside at wide receiver, it's a team that lost a lot of production from last year. We were a little lower on Notre Dame. I, I to give Brian Kelly credit, this Notre Dame team has won like 35 straight games when they've been a favorite of a touchdown or more. It, they've been really good in this spot and they've been really good at taking care of the teams that they should beat. But I think Florida state is live. here. I mean, you, Milton coming in, they're going to honor Bobby Bowden before the games. There'll be a lot of energy here. Welcome aboard slugger. Finally, a little bit of optimism around this Florida State team. I think they start fast, and this I, this, this Notre Dame team just doesn't, to me, have blowout potential with this offense. And uh, I like I think the Florida State offensive line is going to be really improved this year, and I think that's going to be the key. I think this is, ends up being a close game throughout. So I like Florida State if you can get seven. Yeah, if you can get over seven for sure. What do you got? Uh, if you're listening to this late on Thursday night, as I'm staring. At my Christmas tree screen, I think we're going to get a six and a half before the night's over by the time you wake up on Friday morning. So 
listen, everything, I agree with everything Stuck said, and I'm on the Florida State side. I bought it at 10, way long, feels, feels like eons ago. I'd buy it again at seven. I'd probably buy it again at six and a half. Uh, I, I believe in Florida State and Mike Norvell year two. He's able to have his full training camp. He's able to have spring practice. He's able to install everything he wants to do. He's had a year of transfer portal. He's had a year of cleaning house and getting what he wants in there. And what he did at Memphis was nothing short of miraculous, you know, going to the Cotton Bowl and, and challenging uh, some of the best power five teams. So I have a believe in Mike Norvell. I know that, you know, there can be things with Florida state that are toxic in nature that keep them from succeeding on the field. But Travis is an, an explosive runner. Uh, if you get anything out of McKenzie Milton whatsoever, that's just an additional bonus in my opinion, but let's talk about the real handicap in this game. And that is the fact that Clark Lee is no longer the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame. He's now at Vanderbilt, the defensive coordinator, not being there, they're going to a new scheme, a three, three, five with Marcus Freeman. That's going to be successful someday. But right now, you are one of the lowest ranking teams in terms of TARP, transfer activity and returning production. I think Florida State can win the game. So I would, I would take the spread. I, I would probably grab it. It looks like money is going to continue to come in. I would get Florida State best I could, but there will be buyback. Well, for Monday, we have Monday Night Lights, but you're probably going to forget about all this. And <laughs> Monday, there's one game. Colin wrote up the game. So make sure you check out the Action app and actionnetwork.com for his article and his play on that game. Let's move on to second down where we're talking about our favorite overdog and our underdog money line parlay. It's called the overdog parlay. By the way, overdog, we found out, for those who are not familiar, someone called us and was like, why do you need to bet more overdogs? And they meant like the opposite <laughs> of underdog. And we found out overdog is actually like a, an actual term that was used way back in the day. Anyway, now we call them overdog. So favorite, favorite on the board. I'm going to go with Nebraska, minus 41, I think I saw. Ooh. Against Fordham. Just buy, look, Fordham has a, a pretty good quarterback to throw up some numbers. They didn't play last year. They threw three games in the fall. They can't run the ball for shit. So they can, they can throw it around a little bit, but yeah, that's playing right into the hands of the strength of Nebraska's defense. Fordham's not going to slow down Nebraska. Also, Nebraska, I mean, Fordham's special teams are one of the worst special teams in the country at the FCS level. They were horrendous in the spring. So Nebraska has met its match uh, They're with all their special teams mistakes. I think Nebraska needs to come out here, and they need to just – they need to win this game 58 nothing. I mean, they don't need to do anything. But I think that Scott Frost wants to do it. He's just getting mocked. I think they just keep their foot on the gas the entire time, and then they'll be able to just run it against Fordham. They'll overpower them in the trenches – it's an angry Nebraska team that I don't think will let up this week. I think it's a pretty good matchup. So I'll throw out Nebraska. Favorite favorite for you? I'm going to go Texas minus eight. Uh, this is a number I don't believe is going to get any lower. I waited as long as I could to get seven. If it if it ends up going down to seven, then it's definitely worth another buy. If you hit it once, I'll hit it again. Uh, this is a roster that is loaded with talent, and they've never had the right pilot at the ship. Now they have Steve Sarkeesian who went out and built a great staff getting Phil Kwiatkowski from Washington to come in and run the defense. This is a Texas team that continually struggles with injury because Tom Herman worked them over too hard, continually struggles with tackling because they were fundamentally not prepared for games. This is a different era with Steve Sarkeesian in at Texas, and there is a major talent gap when you look down to Louisiana Lafayette. A lot of betters are going to get into this game and get into the spread. I think they already have because of what happened last year. And considering that, you know, Louisiana, there was – a little bit in their numbers to suggest they got a little bit lucky with some of their games. They eventually did not have a Sunbelt Conference Championship game against Coastal Carolina, where I feel like, you know, the they probably would have lost. Listen, Billy Napier is not at the level of Power 5 coaches. There is a huge mismatch, not just on the field, but also in the coaching ranks. 
because Billy Napier continues to interview for jobs in the SEC with Tennessee, with South Carolina. This happens year after year, and he never gets the job, and there's a reason why. It's because he lines up at fourth and two at the 35-yard line, decides to run backwards and take a safety. Uh, he, he is one of the most puzzling coaches and someone I don't want to have my money behind. There is a major talent discrepancy on defense. Go horns for one week until you get up to my hogs. I love the Steve Sarkeesian area. It's going to start against Louisiana. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. All right, now it's time for our Moneyline Underdog Parlay. I'm going with UCLA. I make this game a pick, and there are other circumstances surrounding the LSU team that make me want to bet even more on UCLA. Displaced by Hurricane Ida this week, really interrupted their preparation, you know, on a bus for 10 hours to Houston instead of a four-hour drive injuries, offensive line questions popping up in camp, you know, quarterback reports are not glowing to be kind. And, you know, I, uh, there's a lot of change that LSU has to deal with new play caller, new defensive coordinator ahead of week one against a known commodity in UCLA. We were really high on them coming into the year, still high on them after what I saw last year. I think this is really the year that Chip Kelly takes his team to the next level. I think UCLA pulls off the mini upset. We won't get too crazy in week one of the Moneyline Underdog Parlay. Where are you going, Colin? Yeah, you're definitely taking the best one on the board. So that's going to lead me with what we've been saying all preseason, which is we're going to fade Notre Dame. We're going to fade Notre Dame without Clark Lee, uh, TARP below 50%. In the age of the super senior, Notre Dame does not have that. They have a game manager in Jack Cohn. They have a bunch of freshmen that aren't ready to play quarterback. They don't have any explosive weapons on the outside. They have talent, but it's not explosive. They do have a tight end, but that's not going to win ball games necessarily, especially when you're going up against teams that have explosiveness at the quarterback position and skill positions and is hungry for and desperate for a win in a second-year coach. Notre Dame is going to be looking for a lot of answers after this weekend. I like Florida State to win outright. Love it. Uh, although I won't stand for any Marcus Freeman slander. But let's move on to <laughs> – Third down before we get out of here, and that's our favorite bet of the week. I'll kick things off with a late-night game for you, and that's Nevada plus three-and-a-half against Cal. I make this close to a pick, so please give me over a field goal on a game I make a pick on a team that I am high on in Nevada. Carson Strong. Pro prospect at the quarterback position, third year of the air raid. We saw the progress he made last year. I expect that to continue this year. He gets, you know, cooks back at receiver, takes attention away from dubs. They have an NFL prospect at tight end. The entire offensive line comes back. I love this air raid offense. I think that they're going to be able to score, you know, which is going to be a respectable Cal defense. On the other side of the ball, return a lot of experience on that 4-2-5 defense for Nevada, led by Dom Peterson. They're finally starting to build some bulk. It's not a great defense, but I think it'll be able to hold its own and get enough stops against the Cal offense that I just don't trust to get down the field. They don't have enough deep targets to stretch out and take advantage of this Nevada defense. I like the Nevada special teams as well. Special teams mention. Uh, I think this game's a pick. I think Nevada's going to find a way to win, but uh, give me Nevada plus three and a half. Go pack. Oh. Who do you got as your favorite bet? 
Yeah, my favorite bet of the week is going to be Kansas State. There are too many questions with Stanford, especially with David Shaw and the system that he runs in the Pac-12. It's slow. It uses a lot of fullbacks. It uses a lot of tight ends. It has to be successful in moving the chains because it's not very explosive. And they're going to go up against a fully healthy Kansas State team. And that was really the problem. This is another explosive team that has Skylar Thompson. Uh, They're going to get some backup play from Will Howard. And then Deuce Vaughn, and you're going to put them on the turf down in Jerry World in Arlington, which is the advantage of the team that is faster, and that is obviously Kansas State. When Kansas State is at full health, they are better than Stanford, a Pac-12 team that is, I mean, a win total that just came down crashing. They have not filled in the recruits. This is not the trenches that they've had years ago with Stanford, and they don't have the tight ends and the wide receivers from years past where they can just do a tip drill to themselves into the end zone. Uh, Stanford's going to come down crashing hard this season. Their pace of play is too slow. Their offense is too prehistoric, and Kansas State is going to give them a rude awakening down in Jerry World. All right, there you have it. Thanks, as always, to Colin for joining me. Thanks for all of you for listening. It was a long week one preview, as we expected. We're so excited to be back. We're going to have our show on Saturday morning. We'll have a recap episode on Tuesday. That'll normally be on Monday mornings. Make sure that you call all weekend. 959-BAD-BEAT. I promise giveaways, we were right too long. I promise on everything this pod, on this podcast and everything that I stand for, we'll do a bunch uh, the recap episode on Tuesday review. So get in there. We can, you can get some giveaways as well between now and Tuesday review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy. We appreciate all of you listening. Let's have a winning season again. Let's start it off with a winning week. One continue some momentum early in the season. You can catch us on Twitter all weekend. We'll have some fun. I so excited. College football is back. We will catch y'all later. Cheers. Peace out. <laughs>